Good morning. Delighted you could be with us this morning. If you want to start a watch party, feel free to do so. We're delighted you could be here. Or call your friends. We're glad to have you come and join us. Anybody's welcome, so come and have a good time with us. We love to have people share with us and worship together with us as you probably already have caught on. So we're glad you could be here. If you didn't catch it, last week we had a wonderful baptism. And we are delighted for the new people who have come and have joined and uh, be part of our church family. Uh, if you're thinking about that, please let us know. We'd be happy to arrange that for you and to be able to do a baptism for you, even during the pandemic. So it can be worked out. Delighted. If you have your Bibles, would you please grab them? And I'd like for you to open your Bibles if, with me to Acts 17. Acts 17. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts, which is what happened to the early believers, the disciples, and the apostles, they're also called, the apostles of Christ. Apostle means someone who was sent. The apostles who took on the church after Jesus' ascension to about 100 AD. So we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, and I need to share with you a little bit about the background story. So Paul and Silas had been out, and they had been going to Thessalonica. And while they were in Thessalonica, some of the Jews in the synagogue got so upset with them that they got the rabble-rousing crowd, and they went to the authorities, and Paul had to escape. And so he left Thessalonica and went to a little town of Berea. And so he traveled to Berea. He also went to the synagogue, and many people there, many of the Greeks, many of the learned people, the Jews, when they heard the gospel of Christ, they believed. And in believing in Christ and believing in him, they came to know Jesus. Well, when this word got back to the Jews in Thessalonica, the Bible says they got really jealous. And so they came over, started the same kind of stuff against them. And what happened was that Timothy had now joined, and Timothy and Silas stayed, but Paul had to leave. And so in chapter 17, we find that he went to Berea, and then from Berea on to Athens. Athens. Athens, Greece. I've been in Athens, Greece. It's an amazing place to see. If you have not been there, it's a great place to go travel. Athens, Greece. We're going to pick up now with Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Would you pick that up with me? While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, while he was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Did you see that? The city was full of idols. Now you need to know this about Athens. Athens was an incredible cultural and intellectual center. People over uh, several hundreds of years had came, came to know that Athens was the center of learning, of intellectual debate. And they had made an idol to every type of god that they could think of, so as to appease them. So there were all kinds of gods, all kinds of idols, and they also to their war heroes. So there were statues and artwork, amazing. Still today, you can see some of it still there. But it was everywhere. And so as Paul made his way, he saw all those idols. Now, this is the same city that had 400 years later or a little more, Socrates had, had worked and put his philosophy in. Aristotle and Socrates 
Plato, others, those, all those great minds came from Athens. And so this was a true center of learning, a true center, and of the great philosophers. You can still read their philosophies today. So it was an amazing pace. In the book Acts of the Apostles, it's written, as Paul looked upon the beauty and grandeur surrounding him, he saw the city was wholly given to idolatry. His spirit was stirred with jealousy for God, whom he saw dishonored on every side, and his heart was drawn out in pity for the people, people of Athens, who, notwithstanding their intellectual culture, were ignorant of the true God. Were ignorant of the true God. Okay, are you back with me? Acts 17. We're looking at Acts 17. Now we're picking up verse 17. So Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue. Stop right there. It was the practice and what Jesus encouraged them to do was to first take the gospel to the Jews because they already had the biblical background. They already were looking for a Messiah. So in their missionary journeys, they would go to the synagogues first. It was legal to have Jew Judaism in the Roman Empire, which was under Rome. Even Greece was under Rome at this time. So he would go there, and there he would talk to the Jews. And among them in the synagogue there in Athens were God-fearing Greeks, as well as many in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And so as he would go up and down the marketplaces and see the places, he would talk and share with them. Well, it was that kind of a background where in verse 18 it says, and a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Now they're in the marketplace or wherever they happened to be. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Now here, here is a put down of Paul. He wasn't one of their well-known philosophers. He certainly wasn't a Greek. He was a Jew. A Roman citizen, to be accurate, but a Jew. And certainly they would look down their long noses at him, and they were saying, well, what is this babbler trying to say to us? What is this new stuff? Others remarked and said, he seems to be advocating foreign gods, because they had lots of gods that they honored there in Athens. So he seems to be honoring someone else. He seems to be talking about that. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him, these Stoics and Epicureans, they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. That was an incredible thing to have happened. This, this would be the premier think tank for philosophical discussion. It was the very top in the world. It was a place they took him, which was most sacred place to them because this they not only talked about philosophy of life, but the philosophy of religion. And so they took him to this place. Evidently, Paul had so impressed them with his intellect and with his arguments that they took him to argue with the very best. And so they took him to this special, uh, special council. Now, this special council was located on Mars Hill. 
Mars Hill, just down from the Parthenon, there's this knoll there now, as you can see in the picture. There's a picture of Mars Hill, that rocky knoll right there. I would like you to know that when I was in Athens, Greece, and I was hiking up to the Parthenon, I also went to Mars Hill, and this preacher preached on Mars Hill. I'd like you to know that. That is part of my resume that you might find impressive. But perhaps the other part of the story is that as I began to preach, everybody in my group that was with me, they left me all by myself there. And so I was preaching to the wind. But at least I could say, well, I have preached on Mars Hill. Well, they took him to Mars Hill because that's where all the scholars sat. That's where all the philosophers sat. That was the very elite in Greek thought. And so there they were, just down the slope, just down the slope from the Parthenon. And so there they were, enlisting as Paul came in. And they took him there, and they approached him there, and this is what they said to him. May we know what this new teaching is you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Now, here's the catch here. Because what we're seeing is intellectual curiosity. When you hear something new, there could be some type of curious thing in their mind that they wanted to see. I have a brother-in-law, George. And George is uh, one of the most interesting people um, I have ever met. He has a high school education, and then he went to work on the railroad and became a conductor for the railroad. But the unique thing about George is he has such a curious mind to learn. He's always interested in new things. And so any new experience, any new person, anything, he likes to ask questions and learn from them. And he has such a bright mind. I, every time I'm around him, I just kind of like to pick his brain as well because he is, his knowledge of stuff is so broad. Here's an example. I was sitting around with my family at a bonfire we were having in the evening. And some people dropped by, and, and I don't know who this other man was. I have forgotten. This was several years ago. But he and George got into a conversation that lasted about an hour and a half. And they were talking about bolts. Bolts and nuts. You know, that kind of thing from big ones to little ones to all kinds. They talked for an hour and a half on all different types of bolts. I... I was, I was flabbergasted that you could carry a conversation on. And George was so interested in all the different types of bolts this man was describing, what they were made of, what the alloys were, what was their strength, what was their screw design, how big were they. It was just amazing as he spoke because he had an intellectual curiosity. Well, so did these scholars, so did these philosophers that were sitting there on Mars Hill. They want to know, they were curious as to what Paul was saying. And evidently, they took him there, they discussed this with him, therefore recognized that Paul was a good person, a bright enough person to discuss and defend what he was talking about. So Paul stood up, the Bible says. Paul stood up in the meeting of the... Aeropagus, and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. They wrote that because they wanted to make sure that they covered all gods, and they may, not, they may have missed one. So here's an altar that was there with the inscription to the unknown God. And so he went on, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship because you don't know who this is. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you, he said. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Did you see that? Does not live in temples built by human hands. Now this is a crucial point that I want us all to get. It is a crucial point for us to understand what Paul is talking about. If you recall, in one of the Ten Commandments, in fact, the very second one says, Thou shalt not make unto me any graven images or any likeness of any kind in the heavens above, the earth beneath. The prohibition about making an idol. Now, what's the problem with that? The problem with that, as soon as you make an idol, as soon as you make a likeness and say this is what God is like, you bring God down to a level of which he cannot be contained. He cannot occupy an idol. He cannot occupy one building. He cannot occupy an image. It used to be that they would take and they would carve something and they would leave the the pagans would, and they would leave the eyes uncolored until you took and bought it. Then they'd put the eyes and say, now the God is in that idol. Well, the God who created the heavens and the earth cannot be contained down into a single thing. It belittles him. Now, someone said, well, well what about pictures? We have pictures we put up of Jesus. We have pictures of that. Here's the, here's the key difference. It is, are we worshiping? Do we see that there is a power in that image of God? When we put a picture up on the screen and we say, well, this is a picture of Jesus, which it really isn't, but we say that's a picture of Jesus representing him. Are we saying that that picture is somehow holy? That it has some type of mystical power that we should worship it? But when we do do that, we do make it an idol like that, when we do put down and worship and say it has some type of power over us, then we're in violation. And that's what Paul was trying to say to these Greek philosophers and to these people about their religion. They were trying to put God in a box. And you cannot put God in a box. A very well-known passage, he says, For in him we live and move, and have our being in him. Not we put it in a box, but we live in the God of the universe and where he is and move and have our being by his grace. You cannot contain him in a box. Verse 28, he goes on and said, and some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he said, that's exactly the point, exactly the point. 
Well, he went and shared the story, the great story of the gospel of Jesus and how Jesus lived his life, performed miracles, how he lived a sinless life, and then he was taken to the cross and crucified. And then he told them about the resurrection. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So among those philosophers, there was a division, and it divided over the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus. You see, no eloquence of words, no force of argument can convert the sinner. The power of God alone can apply the truth to the heart. See, it wasn't the eloquent of words. It wasn't, it wasn't that it was a great argument. Only God's spirit can bring a change of heart. It is important to remember that because wherever the gospel is preached, some reject, some accept. That was a hard thing for me to learn as a pastor and growing up as a pastor and maturing that some reject it, some don't. And it's sad for me when they get rejection, but remember, but God is responsible, not me, just I'm here to deliver the word and to deliver and share it as best I can. And his spirit, his spirit is what converts. Not my words, not my actions, not my argument. So wherever the gospel is preached, you find that no matter, right from the beginning, right there in starting in Jerusalem, all the way through the book of Acts, and then to the letters, and in Revelation, that wherever the gospel of Christ is told, some accept and some don't. It's the way it is. Well, verse 33 says, at this, at that Paul left the council left the council some will say well he shouldn't have gone there in the first place no I think he should because it appears that in the scriptures that we find that there's a reaching out to all people all classes of people even the higher classes the way would say we would say those of more learned scholarly the intellectuals reaching out to them that we as a as a church and as as his Servants need to be careful in not cutting off the gospel because we think, oh, they'll never accept. We never know who may accept. Some people the Lord is working with are amazing. I've had experiences in my church where people have walked through the door, say, Pastor, I want to be baptized. And you never expect them. They are wealthy or they're extremely educated. And you never know, and you never know where the Spirit is reaching because... The Spirit is reaching for those who are honest in heart. So a question we need to ask is, who is the Spirit working with right now? Who is he reaching out to? And we've got to be careful that we don't cut that off from people. We don't cut that experience off. Well, Paul did leave that council there on the Mars Hill. And in verse 34, it says, some of the people became 
followers of Paul. And they believed. They believed in Jesus and in the resurrection. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. That's the only record we have of the woman Damaris. She must have been an educated woman. She came and she followed. She's mentioned here in the scriptures as someone who believed. Heard the arguments, but the Spirit of God, they opened their hearts. They opened their minds to her. Some, their minds are shut. Some are open. Does that sound familiar? We hear that in our political world right now, don't we? Some people have closed minds. Some are open minds. Not going to get into politics here, but let me just suggest to you that the church, the church must keep an open mind. An open mind. I found this interesting when it was in uh, Interpreter's Bible. It said, one of the greatest contributions that the intellectual of today can make to the church is to see that the gates of the mind are kept open day and night. Kept open day and night. Because we never know where God will lead us and what new experiences he may have for us. For the church, for the individual, we never know who may walk through the doors. We never know who may contact us. I am surprised about it and how they may come and what the church may need to do. We must keep an open mind for we have not discovered all light. We haven't found every bit of truth, have we yet? Oh, there are certain things about, say, yes, that's, but we're still learning, aren't we not? So how then shall we live? How then shall we live our lives? How then shall it be in our lives? How then shall this be to us? I'd like to suggest to you and to myself, to my own heart, Lord, make sure that my mind is open to see your spirit leading. You never know. You never know which way it'll go. You never know where he is working, but he evidences to us, the evidence is that he is always working. So as we lift up our prayer and praise to him, we thank the Lord that he has guided us and led us and that God will open the doors. I'm encouraging you to not close your mind when a new idea comes along. Yes, test it, see it, but see if God is in it. That's what Gamal did. They wanted to see if God was following what, what these leaders had said. And so some of those philosophers that were up on Mars Hills, their minds were open enough to be able to say, I see truth. I see the truth of God. And they believed and accepted him. Let's keep our minds open. Let's keep our hearts open to where God may be leading us, shall we? Dear Lord, I thank you for this example of Paul going to speak to the philosophers in Athens, up on Mars Hill where, where it was very unusual to have someone come who was not known. But you sent him and your spirit with him, and even though some rejected, some accepted. Your spirit had already been working on many of their hearts, so Lord, that has to be true in our community as well, doesn't it? 
I thank you, Lord, that your spirit walks ahead of us and leads us. And Lord, we leave it in your hands. Help us to be attentive and knowing and our hearts open to where you may lead. Send us who you need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you.